Sermon text this morning is Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Thus far the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Almighty Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the scriptures. We thank you for your church. We thank you for the great truths that we find in there. We ask this morning that you give us wisdom and grace as we hear this word. Help this hour not to be wasted. Help this time not to be wasted, but instead help us to learn and grow. Help the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The great boxer, Mike Tyson. Great boxer. Strange dude. But... The great boxer Mike Tyson was told one time at the pre-fight conference meeting, told by a journalist, this boxer has a plan to beat you. He's developed this plan. He's written it all out. He is going to beat you. And Mike Tyson looked at the journalist and said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Okay? And as a guy who loves the plan, that bothers me. But it's true. Plans are glorious. They're magnificent on paper. On paper, everything is glorious. Remember my football coach, he'd draw up a play and say, okay, here's what's going to happen, guys. The left tackle and the right tackle, they're going to pull around, and the fullback's going to lead, and these guys are going to run through the, and the running backs going to run through the hole, and they're going to hit the safety and linebacker, and we're going to score a touchdown. On paper, every single offensive play is a touchdown. Coach gives it to you, you're like, yeah, of course, we're going to score every time. We're going to be 120 nothing. You get out there, and that's not how it works. That's not how it goes. The left tackle's too slow. The linebacker's too fast. The running back misses the, misses the timing. Something goes wrong. Okay? This is how it is in life. You develop a plan Thursday evening before you leave for work. You get there Friday morning, and the plan is shot out of the water. You got emails. You got demands. You got this. Something happened. When you have the plan sitting on you in front of, on, the, on the paper in front of you, you have yet to come in contact with any opposition, any variables, any of God's providences. Everything looks beautiful. Everything looks glorious. And then life. Then reality. For the last several weeks, we've been looking at these glorious, these magnificent truths from God's Word. Talked about how our covenant-keeping God cares for us and loves us. We talked about the Scriptures and how we sit underneath the authority of the Scriptures. We heard about the gospel, the great good news that Jesus died for us, rose from the grave, and lives as our king and rules over this earth. Heard about heaven and hell and how we can march towards heaven. We heard about baptism, how it unites us to Christ and cleanses us and makes us holy and brings us and our children out from the world. And last week we saw about the Lord's Supper and how glorious this supper is and how we eat and drink together. And Jesus nourishes us here and we're united together as a body here. And all of this sounds magnificent. 
And if you haven't listened to all those sermons, you should. And it is magnificent. It all is magnificent. But then you add people. <laughs> then you add me, and you add you, and you add her, and you add him, and there you add their family, you add their children. And all of a sudden, what looked glorious on paper, which sounds glorious from the pulpit, becomes a lot more difficult, a lot more complicated. The New Testament assumes conflict, not out there. It assumes conflict in here. Paul doesn't say, don't worry about forgiveness because you're never going to have to forgive anybody. That's never going to happen. No one's ever going to offend you. Don't worry about patience because no one's ever going to test your patience. No, the assumption in the epistles by Paul is that there's always going to be trouble. There's always going to be conflict. No matter how glorious the truths are, there's always trouble and there's always conflict. So this morning, the title of the sermon is What We Believe About the Church. Well, really, we've been talking about weeks of what we believe about the church. Who are we as a people? We're the baptized. We're those who eat and drink around the table. We're those who believe the gospel. We're those who are marching toward heaven. That's who we are. And we've got sermons coming up on church government and sermons coming up on church discipline. Okay, so there's going to be a lot more about the church and who the church is. And I'm going to talk briefly about that. But what I want to focus on this morning is how do we as a church function? How do we live together? How do we take these great truths from God's word and make them visible in the life of this congregation? Okay, because the truths on paper are always great. Truths in real life are a lot more difficult to implement and a lot more difficult to put into place. So that's going to be the emphasis of this sermon. If you want to think about it, it's more like the communion of saints. How do we function as the communion of saints than what is the church? Okay, what is the church? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I feel like we've covered a lot of that ground talk briefly about it, but mainly about how do we function as a body, okay? So the brief part about who we are, I've kind of gone over this already, but let me recap for us. The church is all men, women, and children who are baptized and in good fellowship with Christ and his bride, okay? We are the ones who are elect. I'm talking about the church on earth here. There's different ways you can look up. Church here on earth. We're the ones who are elect, washed, cleansed, sent underneath the word of God. We're the ones loyal to Christ, both in obedience and our confession of sin when we don't obey. We're the ones who worship the living God in spirit and in truth, we are the ones who believe the gospel. We sit underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is our good king, and we serve him. We are the spirit-filled people who offer praise to the living God. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is who we are. Okay, this is who we are. And it's not always how we look. It's not always how it appears. Okay, sometimes we don't act in keeping with who we are. But this is who we are. Okay, we are this baptized group of people who love Jesus and sit underneath his command. Okay, I just want to say a couple of things about the church in general and then get into four ways we can function as a body and four ways we can make sure we are not undermining or destroying these great truths, but instead we are making them visible and living up to the calling. As Ephesians says, we'll talk about labor, living up to the calling. Okay, so first, just a couple of things. You cannot survive as a Christian outside of a local church body. Okay. The confessions are clear on this. Salvation ordinarily comes through the body of Christ. You cannot function outside the body of Christ as a healthy Christian, as a good Christian. Okay? It's kind of like seeing an arm if you're walking down the road and walking down the sidewalk there and you saw an arm laying on the sidewalk. It'd be a little disconcerting. Okay? Well, like that's kind of strange. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Okay, something's off about that. It'd be kind of interesting. Kids would like it. Whoa, look, there's an arm. <laughs> no, my kids would do. Look at this. I'd be like, no, don't touch. You know, like, yeah, come on. Okay, but that's how it is when you see somebody who's separated themselves from the body of Christ. They have cut themselves off from health, from life, 
from goodness. The most important decision you will make in your life is not who you will marry, not what job you will take, not what community you will live in. The most important decision you will make is what church are you going to be a part of? What church are you going to be a part of? Okay. And there are people, we know people, we have people who have separated themselves from the body of Christ and they will wilt and they will perish. You cannot function outside of a local church body. The church is essential to that. Okay. So if you move from this church, the first question you need to ask yourself when you're moving is where, what church am I going to go to and is it a good church? Is it a solid church? I would add here that there are a lot of options when it comes to churches, a lot of different choices. Like the world we live in is just full of choices. I go to Walmart and there's like how many, like hundreds, it feels like, bottles of shampoo you can buy. You're just like, why? Why is this the case? And it's the case with churches too, right? I mean, there's hundreds of churches around here. And if you move, there's gonna be hundreds of churches, but you want a good church. And yes, you can survive at a mediocre church. Your salvation can be intact and you can survive but you will not grow. You will not mature. So you don't just want a church that's kind of got the gospel there and got the essentials there and it's okay. You want a church that's thriving and growing. And we want to be a church that's thriving and growing. Okay, so that's the first thing. You cannot survive as a Christian outside of a local body. And this is the assumption built into the New Testament. It's the assumption built into every letter that Paul writes. And Hebrews, 1 and 2 John, all of them. The assumption is you cannot survive without being a part of the church body, of a local church body. The second thing I would add, just in this section about who we are, is you are not a member, assuming you're a member, some of you here are visiting or whatever, but you are not a member of Christ church by chance, okay? 1 Corinthians 12 says that Jesus puts the people in the church that he wants there, okay? He puts them there, the ones that he wants there. So none of you are here, members of Christ church, by chance. Jesus wants you here, okay? Jesus wants you a part of this body. And he has something for you to do in this body, something, some purpose for you here. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But also, he has a purpose for the other people in your life as well. Okay? I think, well, it's great. Of course I'm supposed to be here. I'm pretty magnificent. Of course the church wants me here. <laughs> but, but the truth is you're also here because you need the people around you. Okay? The person sitting beside you is here because you need them. Okay? So the point is the church isn't just something that Jesus throws together. Something he picks, he chooses. He says, I want this person to go to this body. And I want this person to go there. And of course, he uses lots of ways to do that. Providence and different things to get people in churches. But when Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, which we're going to see, when he talks about the gifts and he talks about people being members of the body, he's not talking about the church universal. He's talking about the church at Rome, the local church body. He's talking about the church at Corinth, the local church body. Everyone is put into a specific church body for a specific purpose. You are here as a member because that is where Jesus wants you, okay? And you have a part to play in this church, okay, in the life of this church. So church is a priority. I think we all understand that and know that, but church is a priority, and you're not here by chance. You're not here by mistake. Then just walk through the door because of some random chance. Jesus brought you here. Okay, so this is kind of prefatory, if you will. The question now I want to ask is, how are we to take these great truths about who we are and make them visible? How are we to be unified? How are we to grow up? How are we to build the body of Christ? Okay, and to take one of the confessions, it says, the Belgic Confession says, we're to serve one another and build one another up according to the gifts God has given us as members in the same body. 
And the Westminster Confession says that Christians have communion in each other's graces and gifts. Okay, so that's really what I'm going to focus on this morning. How do we build up the body? This body specifically, how do we build up Christ Church and make Christ Church into a healthy place to be as a Christian? Okay, and maintain that. Really, really, I'm not talking about anything you're not doing. So this isn't. This is going to sound in certain places probably a little bit like a rebuke. I'm not talking about anything you're not doing. Maybe the best way to say it is let's keep doing what we're doing. But nothing's automatic. Nothing's automatic in the Christian life. You can't just throw, throw, throw things in here and say it's all going to work. We have to work at it. We have to strive to make this happen, all right? So the first thing we're talking about is gifting. This is Romans 12. We're going to start at Romans 12, take a couple points from somewhere else, and circle back to Romans 12 at the end. That's going to kind of be the process here, okay? So Paul says, it's interesting, we know Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, okay? holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we, a lot of us know this verse, do not be conformed to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the next thing Paul does? What is the next thing Paul talks about? He talks about the gifts. He talks about the gifts in the body. He says, each of you are a member of this body. Each of you has a part to play. Like a human body with multiple functioning members, okay, we are a church body. The church at Rome is a church body with all these individually, individual members of one another. We fit together. We function like a body. And again, he's not talking about the church around the world. He's talking about the church at Rome. Yes, there is a body of Christ around the world. But really what he's saying is this is a body. Christ church here is a body of Christ. We are, way, we are to function that way. Okay, And we all have different gifts. Okay, so I want to talk some about gifting and using our gifts to build up the body of Christ. Paul does not give us here a comprehensive list of gifts. When I was in college, the spiritual gifts were all the rage. Maybe some of you guys went through this where every time you turned around, they had a test you were supposed to take and a form you were supposed to fill out, and everybody was all anxious. What is my spiritual gift? i got to find my spiritual gift. Okay, what is it? Well, this really isn't Paul's point. Paul's point is you have one, okay? And this list differs from 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 both talk about spiritual gifts, but they differ from one another. So this is not a comprehensive listing of gifts. There's more gifts than are here, okay? There's gifts that are not listed in this and not listed here, and gifts that are not listed in 1 Corinthians 12. His main point is use your gifting. That is his main point. Not, not like magically finding your gift, but use your gifting. And these gifts are not supernaturally infused at conversion. Okay? I think some of us view it this way. Okay, when you become a Christian, magically this gift comes down and you become a totally different person. Okay, now if I told you when you become a Christian you'll become six foot five and be able to dunk, what would you say? You would laugh. That's hilarious. You know, that's not what happens. But a lot of us view gifting that way that all of a sudden when you become a Christian, you become an entirely different person. Okay, entirely different person. But gifting is the outworking of your talents, your abilities, your personality, your passion, and your experiences. God is not going to take you and take what you have and what he has given to you and ask you to do something totally contrary to that or different from that, okay? So the first thing about the gifting is it's not something that magically comes down to you. It's not something that is outside of who you are. God chose Paul, and yes, God can do miraculous things with people. He does that sometimes. But God chose Paul because Paul had gifts that the church needed before he became a Christian. They were already there. Now, they had to be sanctified 
They had to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, okay? But these gifts are not something, are not magic. And sometimes I think we view it that way. We read these passages about gifts. Read, it, read 1 Corinthians 12. And we think about the gifting. And we go, what is my spiritual gift? What, what, I, what do you like to do? What are you good at? What's your experiences? What's your talents? What's your personality? If you cannot speak well, then more than likely you're not called to be a pastor. And now God can do miraculous things. He can do anything. But he's probably not going to do that in your life. Okay? If you're a good speaker, then you might be called to that. My point here is we have giftings. You don't need to necessarily, it's not like some, some sort of magic thing that develops. Okay? He leads, and Paul goes on. Uh, you know, he exhorts an exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Okay? You guys are good at certain things. And God wants you to use those things you're good at to build up the body of Christ. Okay? And a lot of you have been in the church a long time and you know what your gifts are. You know, we have elders, we have deacons, we have people who practice hospitality, we have people who show mercy, we have people who invite people over, we have people who give phone calls to people and say, hey, how are you doing? Have people out of Everybody has those gifts, okay? But I think a lot of times younger people who are just getting in the church, you're like, how do I find it? How do I find my place? We often have membership interviews, and that's a question that's asked all the time. How can I serve? How can I exercise my gifts is what they're saying. And the answer is, well, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? Okay? How can you use the things God has given you already, sanctify them, make them holy, and use them to build up the body of Christ? And notice here Paul says everybody's got something. God has equipped everybody in the body to be able to do that. All right? Second thing about spiritual gifts is there's a temptation to assume that the public gifts are more spiritual than the not public gifts. Okay? And this is really more 1 Corinthians 12 than it is here in Romans. It's emphasized in 1 Corinthians 12. Though. There's an assumption that when you become a Christian or when you get serious about your walk with Christ, you're going to do some type of public ministry. Okay? You're going to become a pastor or you're going to become a missionary or you're going to lead a Bible study or you're going to become an elder. Okay? Now, we want elders. We want pastors. We want deacons. We want missionaries. We want those types of people. And if God is calling you to that, grit. Okay? But do not assume that because you're serious about Christ, God is going to necessarily give you that or call you to that. Okay? The private gifts, and by private I mean the ones that are more hidden, more tucked away, those gifts, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, are just as important as the public gifts. There's no part of the body that is insignificant in its working. Okay? There's no part of a body that's insignificant in how it works. And again, I think we assume that when we get serious about following after Jesus, we're going to do something official, some type of official ministry. Okay? Paul does not say that. Paul does not emphasize that. Yes, some people will be called to that. Some men will be called into public ministry, and that's great. But most will not be, even if they're qualified, and we like all of you to be qualified for ministry, but all the men. But even if they're qualified, God is not going to call everyone into that. God can call most men into that. Okay? So do not assume that the public gifts are more spiritual or more important than the private or hidden gifts. Okay? Do not assume that being an elder is more vital work than exercising hospitality on Sunday afternoons. They all, the church has to have it all. It all has to be there for the body to function. And we know this from our own human body. There's a part of your body that isn't working right. Just think about a tooth. Okay? Think about a tooth. If your tooth is hurting, if you have a cavity or something, 
some kind of pain or a wisdom tooth that's coming through and it hurts for that. Your entire body is bothered by that. It's not like, oh, well, here's my tooth over here. And it, no, the tooth has to function right for your body to function well, okay? All the different pieces of you have to function well. And the same thing with the body of Christ. We all have gifts, we all have roles to play, and we all need to you fill those roles and function in those roles to build up the body of Christ, okay? So use your spiritual gifts. This is one of the fundamental ways we can build up the body. And these spiritual gifts will be in line with your, if I can use this word, natural gifting. They'll be in line with it, with who God made you. And you just need to sanctify it. If you're really good at something, you just need to bring that underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ and use that to build up the body. One other note about gifts before we move on to the next point. There are people here that have gifts that you need as well. And this is, this is easy to forget. We often, we find our gifting. We enjoy exercising our gifts. But we forget there's people in the body that you need them to minister to you as well. You need them to serve you as well. And I honestly think sometimes it's easier to serve others than it is to have people serve us. It's hard to be the needy one. It's hard to be the one that needs help, that, that you don't have it all. Well, we don't. That's why we're a body. You don't have everything you need. You need the other people in this room. You need the other people in the second service who you probably don't even know, okay? So <laughs> you need the other people. You need the members of the body. You need them, Okay. That's the only way we're going to be healthy. So it's not just you serving and you using your gifts, but letting others use their gifts to minister to you as well. And again, often that is more difficult, I think. In my, in my experience anyway, for me personally, that has been more difficult than giving is receiving. <laughs> receiving from someone. Because when, they, when somebody gives you something, they're saying, you need this for me. And we're like, I don't know if I need anything from you. You're like, yes, you do need this for me. Okay, so exercise your gifts in the body of Christ. And again, Everyone has one. Okay? Everyone has one. Use your gifts to build up the body of Christ and then receive the gifts from other people. Okay, so that's the first thing. Use your gifts. The next thing we can do to make visible these great truths is love the Bible. Okay? Love the Bible. You strengthen the body by loving the scriptures. Now, I could have said read the scriptures and study the scriptures and know the scriptures, and that would have been true. All that would have been true. But I don't, that's not sufficient. The longer I live, the more I feel like the difference between someone whose life with Christ is vibrant and alive and the difference between someone who has the outward form of it but not the inward reality is their love of the Bible. Not just their knowledge of it, but their love of it. Ten times in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, I rejoice, I delight in your testimony. Ten times in Psalm 119. Just listen to a couple of these, okay? In the way of your testimonies, I delight as in all riches. I delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. I delight in it. Knowing and loving God's word is like an immune system, not just for you, but for the whole body. For the whole body. There's nothing that fights off false teaching, false emotion, False living, like knowing and loving the Word of God. Like knowing and loving the Word of God. When they teach bankers how to find, find counter, many of you know this illustration, but it's a good one. When, you teach bankers how to, when they teach bankers how to find counterfeit money, they do not show the bankers all the different types of counterfeit money. That's not what they do. Because guess what? There's 
thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of different types of counterfeit money out there. What do they do? They give them the real thing and they say, feel this, look at it, hold it up to the light, study it, crunch it up and see how it feels when you crunch it up. Tear it and hear how it sounds when you tear it. Listen to it, understand this. Know what the real thing is. And then they can recognize a false one when it comes along. And this is what knowing and loving your Bible is like. It's like reading this, studying this, and then here comes this false idea. Here comes this counterfeit teaching coming in. You're like, is that counterfeit? Oh, yeah, that's a lie. That's a lie. Okay? Your kid comes home, heard something, maybe read something on the internet. Hey, Dad, what about this? Well, you know what, son, let me show you. That's a lie right there. This is what Scripture says. You know, this is what Scripture says. Scripture is like an immune system, but again, not just knowing it. We've got to delight in it. Jesus says, it is my delight to do the will of my Father. It is my meat and drink to do the will of my Father. When he's talking to this woman at the well in Samaria, he says, it's my meat and drink to do the will of my Father. That's what we want it to be like. It is like our food, and we love it. Okay? Again, one more verse on this. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, and your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will, and your law is within my heart. That is the goal. And parents, I think a lot of times, <laughs> the reason, well, kids get excited about what parents get excited about. They do. Even teenagers who try to pretend like they're not excited about what parents are excited about. Deep down, they really are. <laughs> they, they, kids feed off your enthusiasm. And if, you're lo- if your study of God's word lacks passion, lacks enthusiasm, then something's missing there. We want you to love God's word. Love God's word. We want you to love Leviticus and Isaiah and 2 Chronicles. I love 2 Chronicles. It's my favorite. All my kids from from co-op know this. I love 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 20 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And if you don't know why, go read it. And if you still don't know why, come talk to me. (laughs) I love 2 Chronicles. We have to love the word of God, love God's word. And when you do that, you're not just building yourself up. You're not just building up your family and your kids. You are building up the body of Christ. You are making another muscle strong in that body. Okay? That's what we need to do. Love God's word. Love God's word. Okay? So we exercise our gifts. We love God's word. We grow in holiness. You strengthen the body by growing in holiness and putting sin to death. Your sin is never your own when you're a part of a church. Never. If your finger is infected, the whole body is infected. So it is with sin. If you coddle your sins and do not take them seriously, then you, of course, will pay. There will be consequences for you. But we all will pay as well. Your sin is never your own. Your failure to love your wife, husbands, is never your own. Wives, your failure to submit respectfully to your husband is never your own. Children, your refusal to be obedient to your parents or be disrespectful when you are being obedient. Kids are good at that. You know, they obey, but <clears throat> you know, that's how they obey. That's not your sin. That belongs to all of us. And I don't mean we're all guilty. I mean, it affects all of us. Okay? Your laziness at work, your sharpness and unkindness to your neighbor, all of those are sins that affect the entire body. Not just you. And we like to think that, don't we? We like to have that habit, that ugly, nasty habit, and we assume that the only person it's going to impact is me. Okay? I'm the only one. But that's not the case. Last week, Pastor Garner mentioned the story of Achan. You know, the story, it's in like Joshua 4 or 5, somewhere in that range. And Achan, Joshua, and the Israelites march around Jericho. 
Jericho, walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Rahab's rescued. All is great. All is great. Every, magnificent victory, okay? Magnificent victory. And they go look at this little city named AI and they bring back the scouting report like, hey, this is like JV team over here, okay? This is like, this is a terrible city. Just send up a few guys. We'll conquer it. We'll run it over. It'll be over. We'll, we'll, not a big deal. So Joshua sends up a few guys and they get whipped. His guys get whipped. <laughs> they lose. And Joshua comes and falls down before God. And this is one of the few places in the scripture where you're, you almost get the sense God is rebuking Joshua for praying. It's almost like God's like, get up, Joshua. You know the problem here. There's sin in the camp. This isn't a mystery. And what had happened? This guy named Achan decided he wanted this golden garment. And he went and took it and hid it in his tent. And so slowly the drain circles on Achan. And he ends up dying along with his family for that. That is a beautiful picture. Terrible picture of what sin, your sin does to the body of Christ. It isn't always that dramatic, but it's always that true. Okay? It affects the body of Christ. I'll give you one other verse on this. Romans, um, sorry, Hebrews 12. Listen to this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So that root of bitterness springs up in your heart. Guess what? Many can become defiled by it. Not just you, but many. But the good news is, your righteousness is also infectious. Not just your sin, but your righteousness. As you grow, the whole body is strengthened. Husbands, when you love your wives, we all are strengthened by that. Wives, when you're respectful to your husbands, we're all strengthened by that. Parents, when you're patient with your children, disciplining them and training them in the ways of Jesus... We all benefit from that, okay? When you, men, you go into work day after day and you work hard and you diligently labor, we are all strengthened by that. Not just you, obviously you are as well, and obviously your walk with Christ is strengthened, but we are all strengthened by that. So just as sin is infectious, so is righteousness. So is growth and holiness, okay? And this is kind of what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 10, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 5, where he's talking about the leaven. He talks about the leaven that leavens the whole lump. And there he's talking about sin and malice and terribleness. But then he says we need to eat this other unleavened bread, this other thing that's spread throughout the body, and that is goodness and righteousness. Okay? It spreads throughout the body. The body of Christ benefits not just, isn't just hurt by your sin, but it benefits by your righteousness. And I think this is important for us because if we... It's a motivating factor to know that we're benefiting everyone and not just ourselves. I think that adds motivation to our walk with Christ. Okay, it helps us when you're trying, when you're thinking about slipping into that sin. Okay, think about slipping. Remember, it hurts the whole body. And you're thinking about, I don't really want to grow there. I'm tired of fighting this battle. I'm going to stop. I'm going to give up. Remember, when you give up, you're hurting the body. Keep pressing forward. Keep doing it. When we think about the Christian life, we tend to think of doing great things. When I was in college in the late 90s, there was all this emphasis on radical Christianity, okay? doing all these great things for Jesus. All right? and there, part of that's right. That's not all wrong. Okay? But I remember reading Ephesians. In Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians are some of the most elevated, glorious, magnificent, wonderful sections in Scripture on the church. Jesus died for us. His blood is shed for us. We're, we're accepted in the beloved. We who were far off have been brought near. 
okay, by the blood of Christ. We're all part of this new covenant family now. We were out there, we were strangers, but now we've been brought near. We're spirit-filled people. Okay, all these great truths about how glorious the church is, how magnificent the people of God is. And I thought, okay, we get to uh, Ephesians 4. Paul's going to tell us to do some glorious, magnificent, amazing, spectacular work. He's going to say, all of you sell all your possessions and go to the mission field. That's what Paul's going to say, right? That is not what Paul says. What does Paul say? He says, you know what? Stop telling dirty jokes. Stop telling dirty jokes. Work hard with your hands. Give thanks. Husband, love your wives. And I remember reading this and going, this is not radical in the way we think of it, okay? This is not radical in the way we think of it, okay? Paul does not, in Ephesians, he does not go from this radical, amazing view of the church to us doing radical, amazing things. What he does is go from this magnificent view of the church to us being faithful in ordinary things. And that's what I'm saying with this. Growth in holiness and putting sin to death means you are faithful day in and day out. You're faithful in your everyday work. The key to building up the church and making visible the great truths about who we are is day-to-day faithfulness. Day-to-day faithfulness. It is not you doing something magnificent. You doing something radical. That's not the way we grow. G.K. Chesterton said the most extraordinary thing, one of the most extraordinary things, is an ordinary man with his ordinary wife and their ordinary children. I want to change that a bit. One of the most extraordinary things, maybe the single most extraordinary thing in the world, is an ordinary church with ordinary people living ordinary faithfulness. That is really what's extraordinary. That's what's amazing. And that ultimately is what is going to make this church stick and hold together as people come in, as people come out, as we get punched in the face as things happen that we didn't see coming, as our plans get foiled, we're like, oh, we're going to go this way. No. As it gets foiled, the way we're going to ultimately grow by God's grace and through the Spirit is when we are faithful in the ordinary, ordinary everyday things of life. So grow in holiness. That's what we need to do. That's how we stay together. And again, this is hidden. It's not something we see so much, but it's just as important to the health of the body as anything you see out in public is your own personal growth and holiness. It's how we stick together, okay? How we stick together. So use your spiritual gifts, love the scriptures, grow in holiness, and the last one is love one another. Here, I'm gonna circle back to Romans 12. By the way, Romans 12 is a great chapter of the Bible to memorize. If you're into memorizing, I memorized it in college, and uh, it's just got so much great truth in here. Um, But I'm gonna start in verse nine, just read a little bit more here. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with a brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Okay, so this is Paul's sort. Paul does this in lots of different places. But this is sort of, here's how you love one another. Okay, here how, here's how you love one another. And I want to talk just about a few of these things. First of all, he says, love is to be without hypocrisy. It's not to be fake. It's not to be fake. Flattering love is to be true 
genuine love. And the Bible talks about what that looks like, how we care for it. And really, I think what Paul's doing here is saying, let love be without hypocrisy. And here's what I mean by this. Here's what I mean. I'm going to map out for you how we're supposed to love each other without hypocrisy. Okay? Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. This is our love of the Bible, right? That's our love of the Bible. How are we supposed to know what, evil, what is evil and what is good? By the scriptures. And then we grow in holiness is, again, loving what is good and hating what is evil. Okay? Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Okay? And this, I want to pause on this for just a minute. Love is not an emotion, just an emotion. But love is also not without emotion. Okay? And the picture here is one of deep affection for one another. Deep, warm love for one another. I think some of us are scared of emotion. Okay, some of you don't like to be hugged. You like to be, you know, you're like scared of emotion. But Paul is saying here, you, you, I don't want you to have this sort of like hands-off love for one another. That's not what Paul's saying. I want you to have an embrace, a warm embrace. The word used here for kindly affection is used of parents with their children. And think about your children. You love those children. You're warm with those children. You delight in your children. Well, Paul is saying, this is how I want you to be with the body of Christ. I don't want you to be cold. And there's a great picture of this in Acts 20. I love this picture. For all of us who are um, a little scared of emotion, a little scared of things, just listen to this. So this is Paul, Acts 20. He's talking to the Ephesian elders, and he's leaving, and he's never coming back. They don't think they're ever going to see him again. Okay, And listen to what happens. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. And this is not just the elders. This is all these people from Ephesus. They fell on Paul and they kissed him and they wept with him. This is the kind of emotion that binds us together. Okay? And we're not all the same. I understand there's different personalities and things like that. But nonetheless, what Paul is saying in Romans 12 is, I want you to have that affection for one another. This is what it means to love one another. And okay? honor giving preference to one another. Three times in this section, Paul mentions pride in various ways. Three times. He mentions it up here. Okay? For I, verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But think soberly. You are not God's gift to this church. Okay? I am not God's gift to this church. We have gifts, but we're not God's gift to the church. And it's easy to get puffed up. It's easy. Give preference to one another in honor. Same thing. Same exact idea. And later on he says, he says, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things or high people or high places, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Nothing undermines the health of a body like pride. Nothing destroys the health of a body like pride and arrogance. We can have all these things in place, all these, all these great things we do, and pride will just whoosh, cut it right out and destroy it, rot it from the inside. C.S. Lewis said, hell is a state, this is screw tape letters. He said, hell is a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and his own advancement. Hell is a place where everyone is just concerned about themselves. And Paul is saying when we love one another, we're not concerned about that. We're concerned about giving honor to those around us, respecting those around us, okay? Respecting and giving honor. So we must elevate others. We must be zealous for the things of God. I could 
go into a lot of more here. I'm going to kind of keep this short. Zealous for the things of God, not lagging in diligence. Keep running the race. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. Okay? Keep pressing forward. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. The body of Christ is built up when you bring their name before the throne of grace every single time. And this is something you can do no matter where you're at, no matter what your situation in life, no matter how difficult it is to get other, get to, maybe you have a hard time getting to some of the extra things that we do here, which is fine. That's great. Lift the congregation up in prayer. Lift the event up in prayer. You can always pray, and prayer is never a waste of time. You can always pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer. This is one of the basic ways we love the saints is we pray for them. We lift them up. Okay. And then finally, and there's more here, but I'm just going to stop with this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We tend to get jealous when something good, good happens and when something bad happens to someone else, we tend to downplay it. And when something good happens, we get jealous. Something bad happens, we're like, oh, well. I had bad things happen to me too before. And I didn't cry like that, you know? This would be our attitude, you know? Oh, look at, and somebody, something good happens to someone, like, I deserve that. And we don't say those things out loud. But those things sit in our hearts sometimes. What Paul is saying here is the way you love one another is you rejoice with those who rejoice. You delight in the good things God has given to somebody else that he hasn't given to you, that he hasn't given to you. There are things people in this room have that you do not have and you may never have. How do you approach that? Bitterness, jealousy, or Lord, thank you for giving that that person. Somebody is hurt in some way, physically, emotionally. You're like, well... Buck up, you'll be fine. Or you like, you enter into that and you weep with them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Okay? That's one of the ways we love one another. Okay? In the life of the church, nothing is automatic. Entropy is real. If we just sit here and hope it all works out, guess what? That's where it's going to go. That's where it's going to go. Okay? We have all been a part of good things that have burned to the ground. Businesses, churches, Families, we've all seen that or been a part of that. Okay? We have, God is doing a good work here. And what this sermon really is about is maintaining that good work, making what God has given to us visible to the world and keeping it and holding it. Okay? And that's how, this is how this is going to happen. Use your gifts, love the word, grow in holiness, love one another. We do those things and we'll be tight and we will honor Christ and the great truths that we talked about will become visible to the watching world. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word to us. We are very grateful that you have made us members of your body. We're very grateful for your spirit, which fills us and fills every Christian here. We're grateful for your word, which strengthens us and encourages us. We ask now, Father in heaven, that you would give us grace and mercy to put these things into practice. Help us to see ways we can do this in our families, in our homes. Um, individually as people give us just uh, wisdom and grace as we do that. We thank you so much again for this word to us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.